The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me this morning to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, we want to consider the latter portion of this chapter. As we've been going through here in the book of Nehemiah, the Lord has opened this uh, effectual door, this great effectual door for the Persian king to be moved to not just allow Nehemiah to return back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but to give him a a government approval and a government mandate and even uh, the finances to support the work. And now he's returned back and he has uh, assessed the damage, assessed the situation, he's galvanized the people, and the people had a mind to work. The people are, are committed to this work and they're excited to uh, perform this work. But <clears throat> one of the great themes of the book of Nehemiah is what the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that where there is a great effectual door opened, there are always many adversaries, okay? And if the Lord is calling us and guiding us to do great things in the kingdom, then we should expect Satan to try to detract and, and distract and make us afraid by means of threats, by means of ridicule, by means of persecution. We should expect it because that is um, Satan's mode of operation. <clears throat> so, really, in chapters 4 through 6, what we find is the onslaught and the attacks of Satan to detract and to prevent and to slow down this great work that the Lord was doing through Nehemiah and these people. And, and uh, we'll go to... Uh, the book of Revelation in, in just a moment, but uh, as is the theme with the book of Revelation, uh, yes, there is attacks from the enemy in our ongoing spiritual warfare with Satan and some other people are highlighted in the book of Revelation, the beast and the false prophet and the dragon and Satan and some of their minions. But, but the story, the main theme of that though, <clears throat> is that Jesus Christ conquers all those enemies, right? And we are joint heirs with Christ, and through, through Christ, we can conquer the same enemies that attack us as well. So similar to the book of Revelation, I want to make sure that we are, we're always looking at these challenges through the lens of the ultimate outcome, which is that they rebuilt this wall in only 52 days. Remember how big this wall is. Mile and a half long, 25 feet tall, eight feet wide, and this great work that all the people were committed to, and despite Satan trying to thwart this work, the, the Lord overruled that powerfully, and they accomplished this work in only 52 days. So we always want to make sure that we're focusing on the, on the end result of the success and accomplishment of the Lord in this, and, and not focus too much on the... Uh, the attacks of Satan that are overcome by their, by their commitment here. 
<clears throat> so Nehemiah chapter 4, in the first portion of this, as we've discussed for you before, Satan always has a, a consistent pattern of trying to persecute and distract and make God's people afraid to prevent them from doing great works in the kingdom. And, and the first of those are, are very simple, which is just simply ridicule, mocking, persecution, simple peer pressure. Peer pressure is kind of highlighted in the teenage years, but let me tell you, peer pressure is just as, as uh, successful, just as impactful for grown adults as it is teenagers, okay? So no one likes to be looked at and mocked and be the, the theme of, of uh, <coughs> jokes and be, be ridiculed and mocked all the time, and some people crumble just under that minor degree of discomfort. <clears throat> but they press through that, and we also want to make sure that as we go through this that, that we see the proper response. What, what's the proper response to these attacks of Satan? Well, the first response is always prayer, right? To petition the captain of our salvation to come and fight on our behalf because he has the ability to conquer all of our enemies. And if we rely upon him, then he certainly will do that. So their first response to this, these, uh, these ridicule and, and mockings in verse 4 is to pray unto God. Hear, O our God, uh, we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. So, in other words, Lord, we know that vengeance is yours, so you will repay. We're, we are going to commend vengeance over to you, and, and we know that ultimately their sin is against you and that you will properly hold them accountable for that. But then Satan, through Sambalat and Tobiah, ups the ante, okay? He, he ups the intensity, and it's not just small little ridicule and mocking, he threatens, Sambalat and Tobiah threatened both Nehemiah and the workers on the wall that they would kill them, that they would kill them. And as any natural person would, that's going to make you afraid, right? I mean, if someone uh, issues me a, a physical threat, then I'm going to take them seriously, you know, unless uh, there's a reason not to. But we can't let that natural fear quench the great work that the Lord has called them to do, okay? So what do they do then? What's their response to a threat of physical life? Well, they pray to God in response to that too. Lord, you're our protector. You're our defender. You're our fortress. And you're going to protect us and defend us. So their response to this threat of violence, this threat to be killed, which by the way, as we noted for you before, most likely this was an empty threat because I, I don't think it would have turned out very well for Sambalat and Tobiah if they would have killed Nehemiah and the workers on the wall when the Persian king had given them approval to do it. I figured that they would probably be killed pretty quickly when he found out what really happened. So for the most part, it was an empty threat, but Satan deals a lot in empty threats, doesn't he? he he's the father of lies and deception. And he wants, uh, he wants us to think that he has a lot more power and authority than he really does. You know, we, sometimes we misquote <clears throat> 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, where it, where it says that uh, Satan is as a roaring lion. Sometimes we say, Satan's a roaring lion. Well, no, Satan appears as a roaring lion. He wants to give 
the impression of having the same power and authority as the line of the tribe of Judah, but he doesn't, right? He appears, or he wants to appear, as a roaring lion. And that can make you a little nervous. Uh, but we need to understand that, obviously, the line of the tribe of Judah has, has conquered him. So <clears throat> what's the response? The response to the threat of physical violence, the response to uh, the threat of, of being physically killed is to pray that God would protect them. But also, not just to pray that, that God would protect them, but also to make good practical decisions for self-defense and safety, right? If someone um, <clears throat> has a uh, physical threat of my life, now I have a gun at home and I have a permit for it and I believe in the Second Amendment, but you know, uh, I'm going to make sure if someone uh, issues a threat, a physical threat for me, I'm going to make sure that gun's loaded, right? I mean, that, that's a good practical thing to do. Jesus said uh, when he was getting ready to the cross, going to go to the cross, the uh, disciples said, okay, we've got two swords here. He's like, well, that's enough. That, that's plenty. That's plenty to defend yourself. And we have the right to defend ourselves in a physical sense. Uh, we don't have the right to physically attack people and provoke that, but we have every right to defend ourselves, and that's a good practical thing to do, right? <clears throat> so, this is a physical response to a physical threat of life that happened to Nehemiah and the rest of these people, but we want to understand the, the broader spiritual lesson here, okay? So, obviously, it's good practice that if someone threatens your life, for you to start carrying around a sword, which is what they what they did, to implement a, a notification system. And if someone's attacking us over here, we can notify people. And the wall's big, so they may be busy over here, and they not, may not understand what's happening on the other side. They had a trumpet notification system to where if something's happening over here, we can go and we can help people if they're being attacked over here on the, on the other side of the city, right? Those are good practical things to do if someone has threatened your physical life. But we would like to to make the spiritual application, because we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare, a spiritual dogfight every single day. And we have, to, we have to understand that. We have to accept that. Especially if we desire, if we pray, and I hope you do, if we pray to be used of the Lord to build his kingdom, to grow his kingdom, that should be at the forefront of our prayers every day. Thy kingdom come, that your kingdom would be advanced. And if my desire is for me to be an agent of the advancement of God's kingdom, I have to expect that Satan is going to be attacking me. So therefore, I have to be equipped. I have to have knowledge of the way that I can properly defend myself against the inevitable, not the, not the possibility, not the if, the inevitable attacks of Satan, okay? And obviously we have the first line of defense, which is prayer, to call, call the captain of our salvation to fight on our behalf and to dispatch angels to fight on our behalf. But I believe this sets a very good uh, spiritual pattern for how we defend against the attacks of Satan as we work in the kingdom of God. Okay, so now <clears throat> we'd like to read the remainder of Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, we'll just kind of jump in here. Uh, in verse 10, and then go through the remainder of the chapter. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. I'll tell you, morale can be quenched really quickly. Go back to verse 6. 
just them being ridiculed and being mocked. They said, we don't care what you have to say. We're going to do what the Lord called us to do. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. They're almost half done now. The people had a mind to work. So they weren't concerned about this ridicule. But now when you threaten my physical life, now all of a sudden they say, well, we can't do it. We quit. We throw in the towel. We are not able to build the wall. That morale and that excitement and that momentum from verse 6 was just totally quenched from what? Fear. Fear. And fear will always quench faith. And that's why we have to walk, walk in faith and trust that the Lord will guide us and protect us because that fear will inevitably creep in. Verse 11. <clears throat> and our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and in the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid, remember the Lord, right? I mean, yes, people have threatened us, but remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. We'll come back to that. Fight for your family. You have to defend your family because Satan is trying to destroy your family. These, these natural people are trying to kill our physical families, and Satan is trying to destroy our families. And we have to be willing to fight for that. We have to be willing to get up every day and take, a, take up the sword of the Spirit and, and have an offensive attack against Satan. Because if we don't, he is trying to destroy our families every single... Because if he destroys the family, he destroys the church. And ultimately, the, the nation declines as well. Because as the, as the family diminishes, our saltiness in our communities diminish. If he can destroy the family, he has a great foothold to diminish the advancement of the kingdom of God, okay? So we have to fight for that. We have to fight for our families and defend our families and our homes. It came to pass <clears throat> when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and that God, I love this, God had brought their counsel to naught. That's why we pray to God, right? <laughs> they have all these plans. They have all these devices. We think we can get them over here. We think we can attack them over here. We think we can kill them. And what does God do? He just brings all their counsels to naught, right? Why? Because he is defending his people in the midst of this work. And God had brought their counsel to naught, and we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. <laughs> you see how, you know, we talk about in, in sports, you know, momentum up and down and up and down. Boy, they, they're all excited, and then they've got nothing, right? We can't do anything. And now all of a sudden, that God reaffirms that I'm fighting for you. All right, now let's get back to work, right? And by the way, that that roller coaster up and down of belief and unbelief and fear and quenching fear and walking in faith and that that roller coaster up and down that's called discipleship <laughs> that's called that's called day in day out daily struggles with the flesh the world and the devil and you know what some days i feel like i'm doing pretty good and the next day you know it's so funny just the the um uh, i guess the um the, the difficulty of situations sometimes there can be a very difficult situation that if I am in the right mindset and I've, I was actually focused in my Bible reading that morning and I was focused in my prayer, and the, the intensity of the situation is actually a lot more serious 
But for some reason, I respond fairly well, and I can think clearly, and I can pray. But for some reason, a much more trivial thing can come, and then I just crumble in the midst of that. Why? Most of the time, it's because I didn't start out my day with a focus. Now, I may have went through the motions, make sure I check my box, but I wasn't focused in my Bible reading. I wasn't focused in my prayer. And it's funny how sometimes, you know, and that's the roller coaster of life that we go on in discipleship. Because sometimes it can be a very intense situation. And if I'm in the right frame of mind, I can handle it reasonably well. And then it's a little trivial thing that shouldn't even matter compared to what happened yesterday. And I just, just crumble, right? And, and that's exactly what you see with these guys. Boy, they're excited and they're happy. And then the next thing, boy, we can't do anything. They threatened us. Oh, no, 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 we're going to die. And then the Lord said, no, I'm going to fight for you. All right, let's get back to work, right? That up and down and up and down, that's what we struggle with every day, right? And that's why we need to be properly equipped because Satan knows our, our shortcomings. He knows that. He knows how, he knows how to uh, focus on those pressure points that are going to make us want to throw in the towel. And that's why we need to come back to the Lord and be reminded that he's going to fight for us and defend us. Okay, so now the practical response to a physical threat of life. It came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the habergens and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall, they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, and the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side, and so built it. And he sounded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. Let's, let's not forget that, right? He's the one who's doing this work. He's the one who's going to defend us against our enemies. So we labored in the work. Half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me None of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. So their response to this was that every person got a sword, okay? And we're also going to allocate shifts to where half of the people you are watching and vigilant for the enemy, and the other half of the people you're working. And then we're going to rotate, right? We are we're dispersing the work. Not one person's doing all the work and one person's doing all the guarding. No, one person rests and, and is vigilant and guarding the, uh, the town. And then they swap, okay? But notice, as they are building, as they are building, they worked on the wall with one hand and they had a sword in the other hand. Um, 
C.H. Spurgeon was a very well-known minister uh, in England in the London Metropolitan Tabernacle in the 1800s, and he had a very well-known publication article that he put out, which was called The Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel. And that's what we have here. We have the sword and the trowel. The trowel being a gardening tool uh, to help in the, in the construction of the wall, right? But every child of God has this same responsibility to be both a builder and a warrior, okay? A builder and a warrior. Now, we gotta make sure we get those in the right order. <laughs> we're a builder first, okay? We're a kingdom builder first, and we're a warrior second. Some people will get that out of, out of order sometimes, and we, we primarily we just wanna be a, a warrior against whoever, whether it be against other denominations or maybe even, Lord forbid, internally in the church. Sometimes we have a, more of a warrior mindset but our primary goal, our primary goal is to be a kingdom builder, to be a wall builder, right? But to do that properly, if you are, a, if you are committed to that work, then you will be dealing with the attacks of Satan. So therefore, you are to be working with one hand, but you always need to have a sword in that other hand. And that sword is the sword of the spirit. How do we defend? <clears throat> How do we defend against the attacks of Satan? Number one is prayer. It's the whole armor of God, by the way. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 here in just a minute. But it's the whole armor of God. But our first response should always be prayer. But you have to have that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, readily available. And you also have to be skillful in the use of that sword to be able to defend against the attacks of Satan. Okay? Now, <clears throat> I want to go to the book of Revelation. During our last message... We tried to, uh, we didn't have time to go through them, but um, in all seven of the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3, there is a promise to him that overcomes, okay? And I, I believe that's important. We, we've tried to emphasize for you the importance of our individual commitment to make sure that our portion of the wall is as strong as possible, as stable as possible, okay? And I believe it's very significant that in those promises, you know, I can't control what other people do. I can have a positive influence. I can encourage them. I can maybe from time to time lovingly rebuke them if they're erring from uh, the correct pathway. But for the most part, I don't have a lot of control over what other people do. But what I do have control over is myself. So it doesn't necessarily say they that overcome. Now we hope that everybody's overcoming together and that's great, right? And, and if everyone is overcoming the attacks of Satan together, then the, the kingdom is no doubt thriving. But I can't control that. I can't control if, if someone else remains faithful to the end. But what I can do by the best of my ability and by the unmerited favor and the grace of God, I hope that I can individually overcome the attacks of Satan, okay? And in every single one of those letters, in those churches, you have, you have conflict in almost every church. There's a few of them that there's not anything negative said about, but, but there's, you have this general disposition just among all of God's people. Uh, kind of that, that stony, uh, that uh, parable of the sower disposition, if you will. 
you know, not everyone is going to be as devoted as they should be. Some people are going to flake off. Some people are going to be that stony ground. They get all excited, but then when they have to really uh, sacrifice something for the kingdom and they endure persecution and they endure tribulation, they're the people who wither away. They, they shoot up really quick and they get excited, but they wither away because they're not fully committed to sacrifice what they have to sacrifice to really be a kingdom builder, okay? But in every church, you have that same disposition. Even in the good ground, you've got some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And in those individual churches of the seven churches of Asia, I know that you had the same disposition of believers and disciples because it's the same disposition everywhere. You have some people that are as devoted as they could be and some people, yeah, you know, they may show up, they may not. You just, you know, they're sometimes, sometimes they're reliable. Most of the time they're not. Those are the people that are going to be susceptible to fall away in the midst of persecution, okay? I can't control that. I can set a good example. But I can't control that. But what I can control is to him that overcometh. And I want to make sure we understand that is because the promise is not to the church as a whole. If the whole church overcomes. Now, we hope the whole church overcomes. And if it does, fantastic. But you know what? The only thing I can control is me overcoming to the best of my ability. And that's why we have this, this conflict in the book of Nehemiah is the Lord is pressing toward this powerful work for his glory and for his honor. And he's moving them and he's guiding them and they're in unity. And, the, and the, the Satan is trying to sp split them apart. His next attack in, in chapter 5 is internal division to try to split them apart because external persecution isn't working. So Satan is trying to split them apart to, to thwart this great work that was happening. And what's beautiful about the story of Nehemiah, the, the physical success, but the, but the spiritual lesson is so important here. In a physical sense, they pressed through all of his persecution and they got done with this wall in 52 days, which was an impossible task, absolutely impossible outside of the power of God. And that's why the Lord blessed it to happen uh, even as quick as he did so that his name would be even more glorified and honored and exalted, right? No one could look at that and say, these people, they don't have any experience. They don't have any construction experience. And they got done with this wall in 52 days. There had to have been a higher power that was blessing them to do this, right? It wasn't their architect architectural expertise. It wasn't their construction management, right? It was, it had to be God, right? So, God overruled this for his glory and for his honor. But Satan was trying to destroy this work at every single step of the way. But what did they do? They individually overcame, right? They individually overcame. To him that overcometh. Not necessarily the church, but individually, you individually. And boy, there are some beautiful blessings that are made, some promises that are made to him and her that overcome the attacks of Satan. So I hope you went back and read those. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. Very encouraging, all of the promises to those that overcome. But that's really, that's the theme of this meat of the book of Nehemiah that we're in is chapters 4 through 6 is they're overcoming the attacks of Satan. That's the meat of the book, okay? 
Satan is trying to destroy the work, and they are overcoming it. And how do they overcome it? By prayer, by faith in God, and especially by them making good, solid, practical decisions to have a sword of defense available on a 24-7 basis. Okay? So, Revelation 12. Revelation 12. And this is an example of where this, this chapter here, it describes um, a, a dragon who is Satan who's trying to destroy a man-child that's being, um, being born. It's very sobering to really think about the way... I say it's sobering. Don't spend too much time thinking about it. Uh, we dealt with spiritual warfare on the radio a few years ago. Those sermons are on our website, and maybe those can be encouraging for you if you want to listen to them. But don't spend too much time dwelling on it because these... These dragons can be pretty terrifying if you really think about them too much. But Satan was working through King Herod to try to destroy Jesus as he was being born, right? And there were many babies that were murdered as a result of that. And Satan is working through Sambalat and Tobiah in the book of Nehemiah, just like he worked through Pharaoh in the Egyptian bondage, just like he worked through Haman in the book of Esther. These wicked men, Satan is working through them. But they're just puppets. They're just puppets. Satan is working behind them. And that is especially clarified here in Revelation chapter 12 because it describes this great dragon as being Satan trying to destroy this man-child being born. But the, but the events that are happening on earth that's being described here is Herod trying to kill all the babies to, to, to kill Jesus Christ, right? But who's behind that? Who's behind this wicked king Herod trying to trying to kill Jesus and kill all these babies. Who's behind that? The dragon's behind it. Satan's behind it. Okay? Now, what, is, what does the Lord do? He conquers him, right? He conquers Satan. And he protects Jesus Christ and sends him, oh, the, the irony of Scripture, right? Uh, Egypt is this, this horrible um, picture of wickedness and sin in the world and where does the Lord send his son to protect him from the dragon <laughs> right in his Satan's own backyard in Egypt right so the Lord protects <laughs> Jesus Christ and then it describes uh, Jesus Christ casting down Satan on the cross that's in verse 10 um, this is the proclamation I believe the proclamation that uh, was made on the cross as Satan was cast down as Christ finished the work of salvation. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. And don't, don't ever lose sight of, again, the, the final victory that we have. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. Now, he, he talks a lot of noise here in time, but he really is just speaking a bunch of lies because he has no authority anymore. Okay? He's been cast down, but his desire is to accuse them before our God day and night. But he has no authority to do that because Christ has finished the work of salvation on the cross. And we have been forgiven from all of our sins by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, the book of Revelation, this is written to beleaguered, persecuted Christians that are, that are re resolving in their own mind, are we going to be committed to be martyrs for Christ? Okay? Because 
in the church at Pergamos. Antipas had already been a martyr. You, you get indications from the way he writes to the church at Smyrna that there is going to be some martyrdom coming up very quickly for them. That's right on the brink. And he's writing this message to encourage them that, yes, your enemy might appear to be very vicious and overcome overcome you, but instead you have the power to overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the way, you overcoming him, it may be you overcoming him by you laying down your life for the kingdom of God, right? Think about how much uh, powerful effect uh, that Stephen laying down his life for the kingdom of God had in the big scheme of things, right? So the kingdom can grow. Actually, uh, one of the very popular quotes that's been so true over the history of the church is most of the time the seed or of the growth of the church is the blood of the martyrs. When, when we get to the point where we're having to sacrifice real things for the kingdom and, and the blood of the martyrs is being shed, typically the kingdom will be growing by leaps and bounds because there is no lukewarm Christians at that point. They're all weeded out, right? It's only devoted Christians. Now, how do we overcome? <clears throat> how do... How do these persecuted Christians in Asia Minor that are reconciling in their mind that I'm probably going to have to put myself in danger of martyrdom for the cause of Christ, how do they overcome them? But also, today, how do we overcome the attacks of Satan? How? It's a fairly simplistic formula. They overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb. Christ has destroyed you, Satan. You have no authority. You're, you're, you used to have a railing accusation, but now you have no authority to do that anymore. Your head has already been crushed, and the rest of your, your flailing body is going to be cast into the lake of fire at the end of time. My Savior has already crushed your head, and I stand with him as his joint heir that I crushed your head with him, right? We were in Christ where he crushed the head of Satan. We crushed him figuratively and representatively. But notice, specifically, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. We have to be willing to make that commitment. I mean, if Jesus was willing to make that commitment for us, that's our reasonable service, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's, a, it's reasonable that if Christ gave his life for us that he would say, you should be willing to give your life for me. Right? That's reasonable. And we need to be willing to reconcile in our mind if we're called to do that. Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 very quickly. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, this chapter, lighter portion of this chapter, deals with the armor of God. We've dealt with that on the radio as well. I encourage you to go to... Mastodon's website and check those out where we looked at each of these individually. And uh, this is how we, we defend ourselves against the attacks of Satan, okay? Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that's what we find in Nehemiah. Isn't it? Most of this is just lies, they're just threats. They're empty threats. They're threatening you, but they're, they, they, they wouldn't have the courage to put themselves in physical danger to try to kill you. It's just lies, and, and Satan is the father of lies. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, yes, Sambalat and Tobiah were physical men making physical threats, but they were in a position of leadership and governmental authority. Now, they, weren't, they didn't have as much authority as the Persian king did, but locally, they had a lot of influence. And they were included in this principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now we talked about <clears throat> the wall, our portion of the wall, and we need to make sure that our portion of the wall, every bit of it that I'm responsible for, is secure and stable, and there's no holes in it, because if there is a hole, Satan's going to try to exploit that hole, right? Now think about that same lesson in the context of the armor of God, right? If there is a portion of your body that is not covered by armor, any good warrior, any good enemy would attack that part of your body, right? And, and you know, the old story of Achilles and, and him actually getting hit in his, you know, Achilles heel in his foot. Well, what if you didn't take, uh, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? We're not going to be able to fight very well if your feet are not protected, right? So Satan, he, he's evaluating the wall and, and seeing what holes are in the wall, but he's always evaluating. This is kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? Sa Satan probably has a better idea of how good your armor is than you do, <laughs> right? Because he's always evaluating, isn't it? He's trying to see what areas are the weakest, and he probably has a better, clearer depiction of the weakest areas of your armor than probably you do, right? So you protect your whole body with the armor of God, and then the seventh component of that armor is in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. We always pray for reinforcements to the captain of our salvation. Uh, we really don't have time to go through these the way I, I would have liked to, um, but I think we can see all of these exhibited in a spiritual sense, especially in Nehemiah. We could say of all the people, but especially Nehemiah. And uh, he uh, stood, uh, verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth. Well, it's, it's easy to cut through the lies of Satan when you know what truth is, right? You know, you say that, oh, we're rebelling against the king. Well, we're not rebelling against the king because I have a signed document where he's approving of what we're doing, right? That, that, that truth very quickly just destroys any lie that Satan throws at you, right? If you know what the truth is, you can sift through lies very quickly. Loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and he exhibits this righteous, godly character that people are willing to follow him, right? Because his, his actions back up his testimony. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith. Well, he's been wielding that shield of faith all throughout this entire account, hasn't he? Boldness of trusting in God and not in myself. And when you take that shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Isn't that a good mental picture to be thinking about? You know, uh, I know I can envision in my head, maybe you can too, in a spiritual sense of like, 
Nehemiah has the shield of faith and Satan's trying to go over here to the left and he just turns over here and he blocks it and he turns over here and he blocks it and he turns over here and he blocks it, right? Every, every fiery dart that Satan is trying to shoot at him, what, is, what does Nehemiah do? Our God's going to prosper us. God's going to defend us. God's going to bring your counsel to naught, right? He's not, he's not having faith in, oh, well, we've got a really good construction plan. We're going to get it done. He's, he is placing faith in God. And again, if you had an animated version of this, <laughs> Satan is trying to, to uh, attack Nehemiah in his blind side all the time. And what, is, what does Nehemiah do? He turns that shield of faith and he quenches the fiery dart of the wicked, right? But it says above all, and that, that, that we should not overlook that, um, that faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. Um, um, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And we cannot battle Satan properly. If we're not trusting in God, and if we're trusting in ourselves, we're going to fall, and we're going to falter. But it's interesting that it says, above all, which, by the way, I think that really exemplifies how important the shield of faith is and how important faith is. But if I was writing it, obviously I'm not the Holy Spirit, but if I was writing it, I would say, above all, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which, by the way, that tells you how important faith is, right? Is because he says the shield of faith is even more important than the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But how do we attack Satan to defend and overcome against the wiles of the devil? Through the word of his testimony, through the word of God, and through the sword of the Spirit. And I hope you see that spiritual lesson that's being taught there in Nehemiah is that they are committed to the work, but while they're committed to the work, they've got the sword right there by their side, to where if that enemy comes, if, if Sambalat tries to get them in their back, which, by the way, this shows the beauty of the, uh, the unity of the kingdom of God. There was supposed to be a, a trumpet notification system where there were people watching all the time. And if they see them coming, we're going to send, uh, we're going to blow the trumpet and let people know they're coming. So no one should ever be blindsided. Why? Because other people are watching the other people's back, Right? No one should ever sneak up on anybody. Why? Because we have people that are designated to be watchful. Which, by the way, trumpet notification system, watchmen on the wall, that speaks of the gospel ministry, right? God has ordained men to be watchmen on the wall, to sound a trumpet, to where if you're in tune, if you're consistently in church and you're in tune with the uh, preaching of the word and the spirit is moving in the kingdom in the way that it ought to, you're never going to be caught unawares because the Spirit is going to move through that watchman to notify you when there are dangers upcoming, right? So, <clears throat> through everyone working together, there should never be a scenario where one person is attacked from their blind side because there's constant watchfulness to protect the other members of of the builder of the <clears throat> the building of the wall, right? <clears throat> and we know the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We know that account there in Matthew chapter four, when um, Satan was tempting Jesus. How did Jesus, who is the living word, how did he combat the attacks of Satan? Always with the sword of the spirit, with the word of God, right? As it is written, as it is written, as it is written. 
So the way that we defend ourselves against the attacks of Satan is through the sword of the Spirit. And again, that just cuts through so much of the lies that Satan tries to use to make us afraid. If we know what the truth is, we can clearly and quickly cut through those lies and just ignore them, really, because we can identify them for what they are. So we have, as we build, as we build, we have the sword of the Spirit <clears throat> by our side. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, reading in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Now, we need to really understand how powerful of a weapon we have in the Word of God. Why would we ever keep that thing in its sheath? Right? It is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I'll tell you, if you are faithful in discipleship and Satan tempts you and you get out that sword of the Spirit and you smack him on the head with the Word of God and you smack him on the head again, after about three times, he's probably going to be about like he was with Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to go bother somebody else. He doesn't like to get hit on the head with the, with the Word of God that consistently. If you keep smacking him on the, on the head with the Word of God and you resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. <laughs> it's a waste of my... I, Satan knows better than anybody his time is short. I can't waste my time on somebody who's this skillful in the Word of God. <laughs> I got to get somebody who's distracted with the things of the world. I got to get somebody who's not in tune with the Word of God because they're not going to be able to defend themselves as properly as they should. Okay? We need to be skillful in the Word of God. Now, we'll conclude by saying that Satan is trying to destroy this work. He's trying to distract. He's trying to make afraid to prevent them from doing this mighty work, not just for their own physical protection, but for the exaltation and the glory of God. Okay? And Satan is trying to distract them and destroy this work at every turn. And I love how Nehemiah, or the Lord through Nehemiah, is consistently keeping their eyes on the goal. Okay? And that's important because it's, we're going to get weary on a day-in, day-out basis. We have to keep our eyes on the goal. That's what Jesus did, right? For the joy that was set before. That's why he endured the cross, right? For the joy that his elect would be with him in heaven. That's why he endured that. He kept his eye on the goal. And one of the encouragements that Nehemiah gave to the people is that you need to be vigilant and you need to fight for your families. Because if you don't understand it, us not having this wall puts your family... If these people, if Sam Blatt and Tobiah hate us this much to destroy this work that we're doing, if it was up to them, they would probably kill us at any moment. Okay? So... 
your families are not protected if this wall is not secure. And that's what he's telling them in a physical sense. But Satan is trying to destroy our families, the church, the kingdom of God, any way he can, any opening, any crack in the wall, any little bit of internal conflict that maybe I can turn into a true fracture. He's always evaluating that. But we need to keep our eyes focused on the goal. The goal is we have to defend our families. We have to defend our homes. And the way we do that, the way we do that against the attacks of Satan and overcome the attacks of Satan is through prayer, through all the armor of God, but especially the sword of the spirit we are laboring we're building we hope we're building in the kingdom but as you're building you got that sword right there by your side to where if you see satan come you pull it out you smack him on the head and you get right back to building right you get right back to the don't let satan distract you you know fear can be crippling and you just say i'm gonna quit that's what happened for a little bit but then a little bit later on that doesn't work. Internal division doesn't work. Now I'm just going to work on distractions because heavy external persecution didn't work and they're still building. Let me get them distracted to where they're not 100% invested in the work. And that didn't work either. Why? Because the Lord blessed them to overcome all the obstacles of Satan. But again, I really want to leave you with a thought. We build, we build, but we have to have the sword of the Spirit readily and be skillful in that it doesn't do you any good if you pick up the spirit a sword and you have no idea how to use that sword right you have to be invested in the word of god daily you have to be skillful in that word and if you resist satan with the word of god enough he's going to move on to someone else okay he's not going to waste the limited time that he has if you resist him he will flee from you and ultimately ultimately we have final victory through Jesus Christ, right? Through the blood of the Lamb, through the word of his testimony, and as those early disciples, we hope that we can be committed to love not our lives to the death as well. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.